At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. Good Friday morning to you. It is a numbers game right here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network, Visa.com, the Visa app, Fubo, Sling, Game Plus, iHeartRadio, on down the line. However, you're taking us in this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, Britton Hess in for producer number seven, Jason Kahn, today. Uh, so Britton will be uh, manning the ship. If anything goes wrong, it's Britton's fault. Just want to point that out in advance there at the top. Uh, Vinny Maliulo will uh, join us, as always, to slow jam the week away later on. His perspective from behind the desk here at the South Point. Reed Kuhn, Fightnomics author and Point Spread Weekly contributor. Uh, he does the analytics on UFC. We will have a discussion with him to talk about UFC 264, the prelims, the main card, the co-main, and, of course, the main between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. And this notion of, hey, this uh, McGregor money is going to come in at any time. We know that to be the case. Do we? And at what point tomorrow, if it hasn't come in yet, do we say, uh, I don't think it's coming? We'll talk to him about that. Paul Carr as well. The 2020 Euro Championship game on Sunday between England and Italy. He's got thoughts there. He's got thoughts on some other things, too, including uh, Copa America and also uh, some baseball thoughts. He's been listening all week, and he's got some uh, thoughts on the Cubs specifically. We'll talk to him about that. Momentarily, Adam Stanko. On NBA Finals, game number two last night as the Suns take a 2 to nothing lead in the best-of-seven NBA Finals against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Another, um, I don't know if we'll call it a coasting kind of win, because I don't know if it was that, but let's just call it a convincing win. One point, by the way, would have convinced me, but you know what I mean. Uh, convincing win for the Suns again in game two as we head back to Milwaukee on Sunday for game three. We'll also talk to him. We haven't had a chance to talk to him uh, and he is the VP of content and executive producer over there at 24-7 Sports in Nashville. And they specialize in college football and basketball. So he'll have some thoughts on the NBA draft market. Picks number two, three, and four. We'll discuss that with him. First, tennis. Uh, we'd like to start the show yesterday. Hope everybody jumped on. Judging by the uh, Twitter reaction, uh, everybody did. On uh, Carolina Pliskova, we had to uh, sweat a first set where Pliskova was... 0 for 8, 0 for 8 on breakpoint opportunities in the first set against Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka 1 for 1. And so we got the worst of it in the first set. And then you just hope at that point uh, Pliskova is, is mentally cool to bounce back. And she was in big fashion. She came back and she won the match as a plus 178 dog. Some folks were uh, saying uh, some of you got it at better prices at plus 190. Awesome. Hope you got it even higher than that. Um, the bag for the buck, and Pliskova advances to the Wimbledon finals to take on Ashley Barty. That is tomorrow. So first of all, as far as the matches going on this morning, the Wimbledon semis on the men's side, uh, from before the tournament, and Britain, I don't know if we have this graphic of my tennis futures, but you may recall here on, on uh, I was about to say on the love zone, for God's sakes, on a numbers game, I only had two futures on the men's side, and they were, in fact, Novak Djokovic. Everybody should have had a future on Novak, quite frankly. And uh, Matteo Berrettini. And Matteo Berrettini right now taking down Uber Ukats of Poland. Won the first two sets, 6-3, 6 love. Uh, on serve right now in the third set, 4-3. So um, 
we'll see. We'll see if Berrettini can get through. He was 13-1 to before the tournament. So uh, I was saying before the show, I've hit futures before. There it is right there. Uh, we'll pop that up on the screen. Uh, this was from before the tournament. My only two on the men's side. Didn't didn't have a women's winner this this year, by the way. A ladies' side futures bet uh, that got home. Only had uh, uh, Osaka before the tournament. Then she withdrew, so that was refunded. And then mid-tournament went with the Muguruza play. That lasted about 10 seconds. But I've, I've hit futures before, some famously, some not so famously. I don't think I've ever gotten the two finalists on only two futures picks before, but that looks like it's on the cusp of happening, assuming that Berrettini can get this done, close this out, and Djokovic can get it done against Shapovalov later. But as far as tomorrow, uh, it is Pliskova, Pliskova, to pronounce that correctly, against Ashley Barty of Australia. Barty has one slam championship uh, to her name. Pliskova seeking her first ever. And uh, you right now, Pliskova at even more bang for your buck than was the case yesterday uh, against Ash Barty tomorrow. She is about a plus 200 now. This is, The money has come in on Barty. So this has drifted upwards where Pliskova is now plus 201 to be precise. Um, the play is on Pliskova, quite simply put. And it's not as big of an edge as there was yesterday because Pliskova's grass numbers, both on a two-year basis and on a Wimbledon tournament just this year, small sample size basis, was superior to that of Arena Sabalenka. You could have made the case that through that metric, uh, in terms of uh, serve percentage and uh, return percentage, that she ought to have been the favorite. Here, you can't make that claim against Ashley Barty, who, over a two-year sample size on grass, is one of the only two players on the ladies' side better than Pliskova in terms of grass numbers. By the way, it's Gil Alexander on a numbers game here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, VEASAN.com, and the VEASAN app. Um, talking uh, ladies' final tomorrow at Wimbledon, but the play is still on Pliskova because her numbers, here at least in the short term, are superior to that of Barty here at Wimbledon uh, this tournament. And over a two-year span, they're close enough where at plus 201, you got to make that play. And so, listen, do I think that Barty could win and win her second slam? Of course. She's the number one player in the world. But that's not how we bet things. We bet things on a plus EV basis, and if you run this match 100 times, 1,000 times, plus 201 represents positive expected value in a big way. And I think Pliskova might get it done for us. So plus 201, the play tomorrow on Carolina Pliskova. Let's segue to basketball. NBA Finals Game 2 last night. We bring in 24-7 sports. Adam Stanko. How you doing? How does that sound, Adam? No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Great to talk to you, Gil. Great to talk to you. You're still in Cali. You haven't made the move to Nashville yet. When are you going to Nashville? Uh, uh, we're talking about two and a half weeks here. We got to figure it out. I got I got to meet with the mover today. We're we're right in the midst of it right now. So it, it'd be helpful if my one year old would sleep a little bit so we could yeah. figure things. Tell but, tell everybody what you told me last night. Your wife hates me. You're you're on too early. She has to wake <laughs> up early now. She's dealing with the kids. I know. I understand. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of a group effort when I jump on here. You know, she now has to uh, watch the little one after being up with with her all night. But uh, no, she, she doesn't really hate you, Gil. It's the idea of you. The idea. <laughs> That's right. It's the Bill Burr thing. I love you, Bill Burr. He goes, no, you love the idea of me kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> Phoenix wins it again last night, 118 to 108. Uh, they cover the what ended up being a four and a half point spread in the end, uh, closing line on that. Uh, and they do so, you know, again, relatively easy. Every time the Bucks got it down to five, Phoenix had an answer. And um, 
I'll start with the most simple analysis I heard after this game. Michael Wilbon, from Michael Wilbon to my buddy producer number five, Jeff Parlay. So Wilbon said it after the game. First thing he said, he goes, I just think, he says, I just think Phoenix better. I just think the Suns are a better basketball team. Uh, Parlay texted me the same a little earlier last night. He goes, I just think the Suns are better. Uh, Can it be reduced to that simple of a sentence, in your opinion? I think so. I think you could make that argument. I mean, certainly right now, the way the Suns are playing defensively, for one, and then offensively, the way that they're moving the basketball, uh, the Suns just have so many weapons and and reliable weapons, and their and their pieces fit really well. And the Bucks, oddly enough, for as good as they are defensively, kind of have a weird bad defensive matchup because Drew Holiday is arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. It's either him or Ben Simmons, and. The fact that Drew Holiday, it's like pick your poison. Are you going to are you going to guard Chris Paul or are you going to guard Devin Booker? And and if you're guarding Chris Paul, they can also put you in pick and roll situations and go hunting for matchups that way. And granted, they have some other good wing defenders, including Chris Middleton. But uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker present a unique problem in the NBA, and that is they're constantly looking for mid range shots. And defensively, when you're not really prepared for that uh, because not a lot of other teams are, are aiming for the mid range game. They get there whenever they want and they hit those shots. And the, the other thing that stood out to me, I mean, obviously they hit a ton of threes. They had 23s. They shoot extremely well from three last night. And that's probably the biggest difference, but Suns weren't even getting to the line. Um, at one point it looked like they could be under 10 free throws in an NBA finals win, which hadn't happened. It's only happened one other time. Uh, and that's the Jordan game where he switched hands against against the Lakers in 91 game two. So that tells you how rare it is. They ended up shooting 14 free throws because of stuff that happened at the end. But I'll just say the way that the Suns are scoring uh, from the perimeter, they haven't even gotten Aiton going yet. Uh, Just so many offensive opportunities. It's always about who who can score easier. And right now, obviously, Giannis is doing a nice job for the Bucs. But outside of that, there are multiple players for the Suns who can score, and it doesn't look like anyone is coming up consistently for Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, listen, Giannis, we were impressed how spry he was in game one. He quietly put up a 20 and 17. Uh, And then in this game, 42 points, 12 boards, um, 15 for 22 from the field. Now, they did uh, dare him to take threes, and that didn't go so well when Giannis indulged them, uh, particularly in the first half. But obviously, a 20-point third quarter which is the highest scoring quarter by any player in an NBA Finals game in the last 25 years. LeBron and Kobe had 19-point Finals quarters in the past quarter century. That's a pretty good company to keep and to eclipse. But you're right. You know, you look down Holiday 17. Uh, Connaughton did add 14, but Middleton most noteworthy with 11. And that's the thing with Chris Middleton, right? For as many good games where you're like, man, this guy is awesome. There are these kinds of games. Uh, that he puts up 11 on 5 of 16 from the floor, 1 of 6 from behind the arc. All of that said, you know, before the series started, Adam, I, I sort of said, okay, and, and I wasn't alone, I said, if you have conviction on the Bucks here, if you think you're going to get Giannis back at near full strength or whatever form of Giannis you get, and you think the Bucks actually have a shot at winning this series, the way to play it because of the uncertainty of Giannis was to wait after game one because you figure the Suns would win that and then jump in on the Bucks. And one of the other things I said was, well, maybe after game one, but what about after game two? What if they fell behind two to nothing in this series? And now the Bucks on the series price, Britain, if we could throw that up, uh, you can get the Bucks. Now, by the way, for MVP, you can also get Giannis elevated uh, as well on the price. And you can get the Bucks on a series price. 
um, north of three dollars. And so my question to you: three seventy-five, by the way, plus three seventy-five at BetMGM, almost four dollars. Is two to nothing too far gone for you to do that at this point? Uh, no, no. And, and certainly momentum in, in a series and certainly the NBA finals, it feels that way. Um, it, it clearly is going to feel that way, but I, there's, there's great value there because you, you know, there's great advantage. Now, granted being down two Oh, in the NBA finals feels like a death sentence because it's awfully hard to, uh, surmount, but we're not talking about a very experienced Suns team. I mean, obviously Chris Paul's never been there before. Devin Booker, Deandre Aiden, Mikhail Bridges, Jake Crowder. I, I, well, Crowder obviously has played in the finals, but, but, but those other guys haven't. And so I think for that reason alone, going on the road, I mean, the, the Suns players are saying all the right things. Devin Booker talking about the idea that they treat every game like a game seven. But now all of a sudden, when you um, have to travel to uh, a new location, everything sort of changes. And so I I do think that now we're going to see, I I think Milwaukee wins game three. I, I will say though, it's awfully tough to get excited about the Bucks because I mean, you talk about the lack of productivity from Chris Middleton and that's always an issue. I mean, think about how rare it is to lose an NBA finals game when you have a player who goes for 40 and 10. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's only been John Havlicek, Shaq and Charles Barkley uh, are the, are the other three players who had done it in NBA history. Their, their team lost an NBA finals game. And it, it goes to show that there's just no supporting cast. If, if any of the other bucks had had a big game, uh, it's a different story. We know Chris Middleton's bound to go off. I assume it's happening in game three. So, and all of a sudden, Bucks win game three, an entirely different series, and it doesn't look like things are so easy anymore for the Suns. But um, so I, I'm with you. I think there's some value there. I would almost look at just the Giannis MVP play because. Yes, that's, that's what I was going to. Yep. Yeah, because I was going to say, if the Bucks win this thing, Giannis is a sure thing in MVP. So just, um, just that's the take, other place I'd look yeah, at. Yeah, just take Giannis at five to one. That's the way to play it. If you believe the Bucks come back and win this for sure. I think you're dead on about that, Adam. The you know, you're right. Listen, the Bucks are four point favorites in game three. This swings basically to the other side. Bucks are four point favorites. They win that game. They're gonna be four point favorites probably again uh in game four. And so you're right, this this could absolutely shift. And of course the Bucks are already, you know, whistling the tune of, hey, they just won on their home court. They're supposed to do that. Now it's our turn to mm-hmm. do that. But at some point the Bucks are going to have to win on Phoenix's home court. That's the that's how this thing works with home court advantage. So uh, let me just throw this out there. If the Bucks only take one of two here, Phoenix ends this in five? Uh, I think that's the best way to look at this. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the case. I mean, uh, again, you know, the, the Suns, I mean, last last night, statistically, again, almost an aberration. They're not going to shoot that well from three. They're going to have to get to the line more. You're not going to get the Chris Middleton game. But if you but if if. If Milwaukee doesn't win the next two, then the Suns will just close this thing out because they do play so confidently at home. And we talked about it the last couple of series. First of all, the other issue that uh, Milwaukee has to face that the other teams didn't in the playoffs against the Suns is that you, you're facing a healthy Chris Paul. And so that's another issue altogether between the COVID protocol um, and, uh, and and the time that he was able to sit out, plus the sweep. Chris Paul is now healthy, and that's another issue altogether that they've got to deal with. So I don't think Chris Paul would, uh, would let them lose game five. So I'm with you. Uh, if we see this as a split, 
Suns come back and, and win game five. Okay, but conversely, if the Bucks do, and you already said you think they win game three, I think I do too. Uh, and if they come back and they win game four as well, and it's two to two, the other question becomes, ooh, it's two to two. But do you, based on what you've seen these first couple games and how they've played out, do you have any any inkling of thought that the Bucks really, I mean, obviously they can win on Phoenix's home court, but likely in any way that from what you've seen here in these first couple games doesn't doesn't really feel that way, does it? No, it certainly doesn't. But I will say this about the Bucks: They kind of have that feel about them as a team because you just don't know, as you point out, when Middleton's going to explode. Uh, Drew Holiday shooting, obviously, throughout the playoffs has been inconsistent. But all of a sudden, you get a situation. I mean, the DeAndre Ayton thing is the, is the X factor for me because, again, Devin Booker playing great, Chris Paul playing out of his mind the first couple of games. But if you can slow one of those guys down, and now maybe DeAndre Ayton uh, is in his head mentally, and now all of a sudden some of the Bucks guys that, you know, you talk about Connaughton, um, again, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, like they have other guys who are just naturally inconsistent on offense, but when they're popping out and playing well, all of a sudden it's a totally different story, Gil. And we've seen again that throughout the playoffs where you feel like, uh Oh, bucks are in trouble. They don't look that great. And then all of a sudden they reel off a couple games where they just look outstanding and you go, wait, why are we sleeping on the bucks? They're awesome defensively. They have Giannis who's unstoppable. And so that may factor in too. So I don't want to say that two, two, that's that coming back to Phoenix, the the bucks can't win the series. Cause I think if we get to that point, I certainly, think the Bucks could, and I think momentum will have shifted to where we're having a totally different conversation. I think you're right. I think that's honestly that's my conclusion. Even even with the Suns up two nothing, I still feel the same way I did now that I did. I, I still feel the same way now as I did before the series, which is, yeah, I, yeah, Phoenix could win this in five, given where we are now, mm-hmm. and then I could see it going the full seven and everybody winning games on their home court the whole way through. Or the Bucks could have that one unbelievable game on the road where they just shoot lights out. So it's just like there is no outcome that I would be flabbergasted by at this point. And that's and, and I'll say and I'll say this, Gil. I'll I'll say too. If this thing goes to a game seven, do you really want your best player to be as poor of a free throw shooter who's uh, struggling as much mentally as Giannis is? And that's and that's really what's the problem with with the Bucks at the end of the day. I mean, it's not the same way in the in the Ben Simmons portion where it's affected. Giannis's entire game, but it's certainly he's a disaster when he's at the free throw line. No question about that. He is, but can we give him, and this is not an original thought for me. I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was Barkley. Can you give him a little strange credit for, because we saw Ben Simmons, right? Ben Simmons, who has terrible struggles from the line. Man, did he shy away from any any possibility mm-hmm. of getting fouled and having to endure that embarrassment at the line. Giannis, give him credit. He's like, you know what? I, I don't care about the embarrassment. I'm going to keep going to the line. If it helps my team, if I feel like it's going to do it, I, I am going to do it. So I, in some weird way, I kind of give him some some dap for that. Oh, Absolutely. Listen, I mean, the fact that he's a poor free throw shooter is is one of the rare weaknesses in his game. I mean, and so he knows that's going to be the case. And to your point, he's still initiating contact. He's still trying to get fouled. And I think that takes a lot of inner confidence. Certainly you give him credit. He gets the line and the Suns crowd. You got the Suns and four guy somewhere in that, in that crowd. You got everybody counting uh, how long he's at the free throw line. All the memes are out there. He appreciates that. But I think there's something about Giannis's inner strength that's certainly impressive. So you're absolutely right. I'm just saying at the end of the day, he's going to have to make free throws yeah. if 
He's going to have to make free throws in a big spot now with this team down 2-0 if they're going to win this series. By the way, my co-host, uh, Matt Brown, on Primetime Action uh, made the call, too. He goes, why is Phoenix, why do all these opposing crowds count up when Giannis is at the line? Count down and then make the buzzer <laughs> exactly. sound. Like, come exactly. on. Be better, exactly. be better hecklers, for God's sakes. <laughs> Last thing about this, uh, it's the MVP on the other side. Chris Paul actually dipped down a little bit in the MVP market uh, yesterday. Again, the Suns up two to nothing. You you got to figure that the sentimental vote, everybody given a reason to vote for Chris Paul here will. So the thinking, at least uh, my thinking, is one more monster game from Paul is all he really needs to, mm-hmm. to make the sentence, if Phoenix wins, he gets the MVP, a done deal. I don't think he had that game yesterday. Would you agree with that? Minus 135? Would you still bet Chris Paul at this point, or is there somebody else on the Suns, main, main, namely Devin Booker, at 2-1 to one that you might take a shot at? Well, if if you're looking for value, I would have gone with Booker after game one, but I'm I'm with you now at this point, and, and you're right. The big issue is that the sentimental vote, I mean, it's human nature, and we know that's going to be the case. People always talk about narrative storylines. When it comes to an MVP season, it's harder to vote narrative-wise. Chris Paul winning the NBA Finals, it's going to be incredibly hard for Devin Booker to overtake him. Now, we know he's capable of the monster scoring nights. Uh, we know what he's done throughout the playoffs. Devin Booker has been sensational, but I'm with you. I think when you think about the sentimentality of Chris Paul winning MVP, I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't touch it. And if you're going to do it, yeah, I think, yeah, Chris Paul, obviously, heavy favorite. If there's value, again, you and I talked about it. If you think the Bucs are going to win this series, don't even bet the Bucs. Go with Giannis as MVP. That's, uh, that's, I think, for sure the way to play that. Well, uh, we drag it out now. Not another game till Sunday. Game three, Bucks favored by four. Would you lay the four real quick? I know you say the Bucks win, but would you lay the number? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, let's go for it. So, okay, we'll come back. Uh, five more minutes with Adam Stango because I, I have not had the chance to talk to him about the number two, three, and four picks in the NBA draft. I won't be here when the draft happens later this month. be on vacation, but I want to bend Adam's ear about that. Cade Cunningham at one. Does he believe two, three, and four are actually locked in 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 there as well? We kind of do here on this show. We'll get his thoughts next. It's a numbers game at Vison, the Sports Betting Network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. With basketball, hockey, and baseball games every week, it's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada, the premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds, specials, and much more. Just download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700. It's Gil Alexander, 24-7 Sports. Adam Stanko with us, kind enough to join us for five more minutes here. Adam, I, I gave your lofty title at 24-7 Sports earlier. <laughs> Would you like to uh, refresh my memory? What is it? VP of content? Is that it? VP content and executive producer. Nice. So that's the official title. Beautiful. Um, beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, it's a great place. A lot of talented people there. I'm excited to uh, dive in. I haven't even started yet. It starts July 19th. And so. you will love Nash Vegas, man. I love Nashville. Nashville's an awesome town. Uh, yeah, if listen, if anybody has some some eating spots, some um, I don't know, physicians recommendations, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Yeah. Naismith lives, and we'll have a conversation. At Naismith lives, you'll, you'll have a real tough time finding sweet tea uh, in restaurants. <laughs> let me tell you that it's everywhere. It's phenomenal. Okay, um, number one pick of the draft. There are markets for these things. Uh, Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma State, minus 5,000, prohibitive favorite. Producer number seven, Jason Kahn, who's not here today, but he chimes in with his thought on this, and he's curious. He goes, why wouldn't Oklahoma City trade all of their picks to Detroit, remember all of that draft capital they've accumulated, for the chance to draft Cade? He says, that's what I think is going to happen. You say what? No. Uh, there's a chance. I mean, my my take all along has been Cade Cunningham is going to be the number one pick in the draft. The question's going to be, are the Pistons ultimately the team that ends up that ends up taking him? So uh, that's that's the interesting point about about number one. And and the Pistons could do that because if you think about it, what they're accumulating is a is a really talented team with some with some special assets. Uh, you, everybody thinks about Jeremy Grant, but uh, Isaiah Stewart was a standout rookie for them. Um, Killian Hayes was a guy they still think is going to be involved in the mix. They were excited about him last year. And Sadiq Bey, who was my favorite player coming into last year's draft, ended up having a wonderful rookie season. So they already have some young pieces. It'd be interesting to see if Troy Weaver pulls the trigger on on a deal like that, because certainly for Oklahoma City, it'd be wild. But I think Cade Cunningham's going to be excited, you know, exciting the fan base no matter where he goes. Uh, so I think same sort of value Oklahoma City feels like he would be. Obviously, same thing holds true in Detroit. So, Cade Cunningham, no matter who picks at number one, uh, justified as a minus 5,000 favorite. Okay, so these have moved, because I've talked uh, on air with uh, about this with a couple people, and these have all moved in our direction. Uh, here's the theory. It's Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, 2, 3, and 4. Houston, who has Christian Wood, they're not going to take Evan Mobley. You would think they would go Jalen Green at mine, and now Jalen Green, who was plus money, is minus one fifty over at BetMGM for the number two pick. Real quick to the number three, because we'll get Adam's reaction. All this, then it's Cleveland at number three. They're guard heavy. You would think they would go Evan Mobley at number three, and Evan Mobley, who used to be plus number, is now minus one forty, and then that would leave Jalen Suggs to fall to the Toronto Raptors at four, and Jalen Suggs at number four. Uh, he used to be plus money, and currently he is. Is let's find out what his current odds are. We'll get to uh, number four pick here momentarily, but he has actually moved a little bit too. Um, so you buy that that that's going to be the order after Cade Cunningham because that seems to make sense to me, and the market seems to agree. Well, it does make sense. I think the thing is, we don't know, obviously. I think we could have predicted a little more about how Daryl Morey would operate as uh, the head of the Rockets' front office. But now you're talking about Raphael Stone. Uh, and so I think it's all about there. Does he go for the safer the safer pick? And then it's a determination about what you feel is safe. And in this year's draft, I would say the safer pick is going to be Evan Mobley because instantly he becomes a defensive standout. Now, if Mobley goes number two to the Rockets, now, all of a sudden, things shift a little bit. I think Jalen Green goes third to the Cavs. I think those guys end up going in that order. But I used to think that this was a four-player draft previously. Uh, those are the top-tier guys, tier one guys, all standouts, all multiple-tier, multiple-run all-stars. And I don't even know if Jalen Green is that guy, but certainly Jalen Suggs, although – 
I feel like Jalen Suggs teams are cooling on him just a little bit. And I don't know why that's the case. The one guy though, who is picking up a lot of steam. If you're thinking about who could throw a fly in the ointment, there is Scotty Barnes from Florida state, a guy that Mm. wasn't extremely productive during his run at Florida state, but you know what? Everyone knows he can defend at an NBA level. That's how FSU guys are. He could be a guy that slips into the top four. Don't be shocked if it happens. All right, Jalen Suggs, by the way, minus 150 now at number four. So everything we talked about on this show multiple times, the market has completely gone with us, but it sounds like Adam is not 100% sure about that order. Adam, congratulations again on the move to 24-7 sports. We will talk to you soon, sir. Tell your wife I said hello, and I still love her. All right, I'll tell her you apologize today. Thank you. Adam Stanko, everybody. Uh, at Naismith Lives is where you can follow him on Twitter. Las Vegas Chris just sent me a text. He said he'll buy me an egg McMuffin with, oh, excuse me, a sausage McMuffin with egg if we move on from basketball. Okay, wish granted. Paul Carr next on Euro 2020. It's a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. VSIN is your betting headquarters for UFC 264. We're bringing you in-depth analysis of the McGregor Poirier main event, plus key bouts on the undercard from our full team of experts, including Lou Finicaro, who was kind enough to join us on primetime action last night, Reed Kuhn, who will join us uh, in about a half hour here on A Numbers Game, and Jordan Sherwood, who we talk to all the time. Sign up for the free VSIN newsletter to receive our digital guide and tune in Saturday at noon Eastern for First Strike, our live preview show with updates from all of our fight experts. Get everything you need for betting on UFC 264 and sign up now for the free UFC 264 betting guide at VSIN.com slash free. That's VSIN.com slash free. What a weekend in Las Vegas it is. Uh, UFC 264 at uh, T-Mobile tomorrow night across the 15 freeway. Garth Brooks at Allegiant Stadium. That's going to be a boondoggle of traffic right there. (laughs) And then tonight, Justin Bieber at the uh, Wynn Theater at the Encore. Or is it the Encore Theater at the Wynn? I never can remember. What a night that's going to be for some of us who are attending that. By the way, I'm taking a 14-year-old, the girl and a 14-year-old Paul Carr to the Justin Bieber concert. Guess who's the most excited? That would be me. I did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> no, through your curveball. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Paul, Paul Carr from the Expected Value Podcast, everybody. How you doing, man? You good? I am good. We got a big weekend. Something yes. big weekend in Vegas. We got a big soccer weekend. It should be a fun one. It should be fun. Let, let me start with something that I talked about with, I think it was Paul Carr earlier this week, which was talking about, and maybe it was, it was also uh, our own Josh Towers about the Cubs and the trade deadline mm. was talking about, okay, like if they, if they didn't win the World Series in 2016, would, would these guys even st- be around? Or would this even be a discussion at this point? Of course they would purge everybody. But there's that whole thing, and it happens sometimes in baseball. The Giants yeah. with Mad Bum did the same thing. But when we were talking about that, you said it reminded you of another team from the past. Yeah, so, so I am a Royals fan, and in 2017, uh, so the Royals obviously won the World Series in 15. 17, Hosmer, Mustakas, Kane, and Escobar, uh, kind of a, the core of that team, were all had all had expiring contracts at the end of 17 seasons. So the Royals were sort of in the same situation as the Cubs. The, the difference was, I think the Royals were like three-ish games out in the mm-hmm. division and or the wild card as the end of July came around, the Royals decided to keep everybody and you know, they didn't make the playoffs. It did make for a really nice moment at the end of the season when all four got subbed out of the last home game at the same time. So some good memories there. Uh, so, you know, at the time it didn't bother me too much, kind of make one last push and rebuild. You know, we're now four years later 
it'd be nice to have two or three more, you know, pretty good prospects to help, you know, make this yeah. Royals team push them closer to 500. Um, so I've kind of mixed feelings. I, I don't regret kind of the experience of 2017. Uh, in retrospect, yeah, it sure would be nice to have kind of supercharged that rebuild a little bit faster. Yeah, it's a funny thing about baseball because I, I totally relate. Again, the Mad Bum thing was the equivalent with the Giants yeah. last or was it last year or the year, year before now, I think. I can't even remember what year it was. But obviously they had to make a decision coming to the trade deadline. Oh, well, we clearly we should get we should unload Madison Bumgarner and get some prospects. But he's such a cultural icon there, not to mm-hmm. overstate it in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the key cogs of not one, not two, but three World Series championships. So by the way, that year of the Royals, twenty seventeen, I think that was the only season win total I got wrong because I I anticipated a sell-off, right. and they stuck around, and I think they exceeded it if, I'm, if memory serves. So, yeah, that happens yeah. sometimes with that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's the whole emotion versus practicality thing that, you know, there's, there's not a right answer, so right. you just kind of got to figure the, it out. And I have the same reaction that you do, by the way, which is at the time you're kind of like, hey, I get it. We should probably trade him, but I totally understand that we're not because, you know, you'll yep. get you'll – get, flogged in the town square kind of thing. So yeah. you keep it around. And then, yeah, a few years later, you're like, well, I probably wish they had done it. Um, okay, so there's some other soccer going on this weekend, not just Euro Cup 2020, which we will uh, get to here momentarily, but there is a Copa America. You have been betting that as well or not so much? Uh, just a little bit, not as much, but this final, and I mean, ignoring the betting side, just the pure sporting aspect of it. It is Brazil against Argentina. And I think even for, you know, casual soccer fans who drop in for international tournaments, they realize kind of the importance of that. So it's Brazil against Argentina for a title. The wow. game is in Brazil at Maracanã, which is one of the famed soccer stadiums in the world. Uh, I think they only have about 5,000 fans, so that's a little limited. But, um, I mean, the storylines are great. It's Again, it's those two. It's Messi. Messi has never won a major international title. He's never Amazing. won a World Cup. He's never won a Copa America, which is kind of mind-blowing, I think. He did win a gold medal, but that's kind of a youth tournament uh, at the Olympics on the men's soccer side. So this is definitely his last best chance, you know, I mean, he'll have a shot. He'll probably be on the world cup team next year. Uh, but you know, that's just a tougher slog. Argentina is not as head and shoulders above everybody as they in Brazil kind of are in South America. So it's just gonna, It should be an incredible spectacle. So even you're not betting this, like this just should be an entertaining game. Yeah. But you you are taking Brazil a little bit of Brazil. I, I am I'm sprinkling a little bit on Brazil. Uh, okay. I'm at plus one fifteen to uh, win this one again. This is win in ninety minutes. I just think they're a better team. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, they have Neymar, who's kind of their equivalent of Messi, of course, the great player in attack who kind of makes everything go. Uh, they also have a strong defense. They have Thiago Silva and Marquinhos, who played for years together at PSG. Uh, they just, so Neymar just has more support than Messi. If you've watched any of these Argentina games, you go. It just looks like, you know, the one guy in the NBA who feels like he has to take every shot every time down the court. Uh, Messi just seems like he has to do everything. Go get the ball, bring it up the field, find the guy. Uh, So they're they're not quite a one-man team. I exaggerate a little bit, but within the, you know, 11-man soccer realm, that's kind of what it feels like. So I just think Brazil is better. Uh, They're playing at home for whatever that is worth a little bit. And I just just think they're a better team. I like them in 90 plus 115 is my price. And that is tomorrow, correct? That is tomorrow. (laughs) That is tomorrow night, 7 central, I believe. Oh, that's. That's actually huge with UFC going on. That'd be mm-hmm. huge to keep in mind. Too. I, I have trouble remembering that Copa America is on when it is. Okay, yep. so let's go to Euro 2020. We have like 90 seconds here before the break. Let's start with Golden Boot. Uh, Golden Boot and top goal scorer. So right now it's Ronaldo yeah. with five goals and one assist. Harry Kane has four after that yep. PK, which we got to talk about after the break, yeah. too. Okay. Uh, so he needs 
He needs two goals to win the golden boot because yep. five goals and no assists will not get him the Correct. golden boot. So he needs two goals to win the golden boot. He would be in a chop with both Ronaldo and Schick if he gets one more goal. Yep. How would you play yeah. that? Yeah, so I was looking at... First of all, I know what your options are. I know what your rules are. So mm-hmm. I, I had a small, I kind of forgot this. I had a small play on Ronaldo to win the golden boot at like plus 125 a couple of rounds ago. Nice. And so I was looking at Kane here. Uh, he's six to one at my book to win the golden boot. But to score two goals in the game, he's at 14 to one. So I made, I made a small hedge on that at 14 sure. to one to get two goals. So just, I mean, I saw it. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Now you, you threw the possibility out of him getting a goal and two assists uh, as since you're not taking the golden boot bet, but I think that's so unlikely that, yeah. and the price is so much better at 14 to one. So it's, it's a pretty reasonable play. Even if you don't have to hedge, he scored two goals, seven times in his 60 England games. So yeah, 14 to one is not terrible uh, for two goals for Harry Kane in the final. Okay. Yeah. And there's always the PK possibility with him. And mm-hmm. that's yep. Some more justified than others. Uh, we'll talk <laughs> about that here momentarily. Uh, we'll get what uh, Paul is pay- playing prop wise in the uh, Euro Cup 2020 final on Sunday between Italy and England and what his game pick ultimately is. We'll do that next on a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Get in the ring with BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up today and win $100 when you place a $1 wager on the notorious one. That's Conor McGregor to get his revenge in the main event on July 10th. Tomorrow, simply use bonus code VSIN100. When you place your bet to take advantage of this knockout offer, enjoy fight night more than ever with BetMGM. New customer offer paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, Virginia, and D.C. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Skill Alexander, um, Wimbledon, semifinal. Uh, we have the 13-1 to on Matteo Berrettini along with a future on Novak Djokovic. Berrettini, after being up two sets, did drop the third in a tiebreaker, but has broken to start the the fourth set and has consolidated that break, as they like to say in the old tennis game. So looking good, once again, on Matteo Berrettini to advance to his first slam final of his young career. Um, Back with Paul Carr from the Expected Value Podcast, formerly at ESPN, now with the True Media Networks as well. Um, okay, let's before we get to your your picks here, a couple things. One, did you mention something about the red card situation at Copa America? Did I miss that? Oh, yeah, no, just as a sign of how crazy these games are, uh, I was looking at the over under for cards. So we'll get to this, but England, Italy, the over under for cards in the game is four, it's kind of the standard number. In the Copa America final, it's a five and a half, 
and there's juice on the over. So, you know, they're expecting at least six cards. That's, that's, that's just awesome. a microcosm of it. That yeah. should be fun to watch. That's worth yeah. it. Oh, you're expecting that many cards, are you? Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it should, it, it'll be fun. It's, things yeah. get a little crazy in, in South America, Copa America especially. All right, let's go back real quick uh, to uh, the England semifinal against, uh, I already forgot who it was that England played. Of course, it was uh, uh, Denmark. Denmark. Yes. And so um, you have a situation where it's one-to-one. Mm. It's mm-hmm. the extra time. And, by the way, there's two soccer balls on the pitch. Just want to point that yeah. out. And yeah. it, but, it, but you know, you get this feeling. It's a, it's a home game, de facto home game at Wembley. You kind of think in the back of your head the whole time, are they going to figure out some way to, you know, send this one to the, to the home team? Anyway, was, was it Sterling who got fouled? Was that mm-hmm. was it, So Raheem Sterling, listen, he gets he, the call on the field. Here's where the American, uh, you know, right. yes. uh, sensibility kicks in. The call on the field is that there's a foul. So yes. on review, you've got to be able to overturn the call on the field. Yep. He could easily, the ref could have easily not called it, quite frankly. But he yes. did, and they couldn't overturn it. And then you have, okay, PKs at that point here, trots out Harry Kane. You're like, oh, this is a done deal. But it is it is Schmeigel in, in goal for Denmark, and he makes a great save. But on the rebound, because apparently, as we've all watched soccer, we know this to be the case, but you're reminded starkly every time it happens. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's live on a rebound. And, of course, everybody else is behind Harry Kane. So he could just put the biscuit in the basket real quick after that. You know, with 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 the goal with the goalkeeper lying on the ground, there's no possible way he could recover after the save, and he just, you know, look. I know when I wrote that, it got 98 percent favorable on on Twitter, but there's of course a couple people like they've been doing it this way for 125 years. I know they have, yeah. and some people are justifying. Well, what if the other team had gotten the rebound and gone the other way and scored? And I'm like, really? Do you think that's the same thing? Do you think we're talking we're talking about like a technical foul where everybody's behind? the shooter right. in basketball, but, oh, you can get the board and put it back in if you want. Right. It's just, I guess what I'm saying is, I get that they play soccer this way, but the rebound being allowed on a PK just seems like a ridiculous thing. Yeah. First, you're right on the foul call. If they had not whistled the foul, I don't think VAR would have turned it into a penalty. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those. There's just enough. There was a little bit of contact, so you can't overturn it uh, in that way. And then I, I agree on the penalty. It just feels so wrong. And I think that 2% is right in a way. Like, it's just, this is not a conversation that I feel has had much in Europe um, just because it's the way it's always been. But, but yeah, I mean, the guy who screws up and does not convert has a giant advantage over everybody else. He already has the giant advantage, right? Cause it's point blank range. Let's make that advantage even more giant on the rebound. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say either make it a dead ball, you know, do it like hockey where it's just a one-off thing. Or, you know, if you want to get weird, you could let anybody else be the first to touch the ball after the keeper saves it. Um, I feel like that's just going to, in some ways, it's good, but it would just create chaos of everyone trying to get to the ball and it's going to be a scrum. It's like, you know, get the bacon or something you played when you were a kid. Uh, and they're going to have to legislate keeping guys out of the box before uh, the ball is struck and all that stuff. So, yeah, I would just make it dead because the keeper does all the work. I mean, you can't expect him to, you know, direct the save to the right spot or try to catch the penalty. That's I don't think that's reasonable. It's ridiculous. Anyway, it's done. It's done, Paul. Yeah. It's over. I will say, I mean, at least England, you know, kind of deserved the win. They you know, did. They, they outplayed that more yes. shots. So I, I don't, 
feel bad about England advancing. The way is kind of eh. Right. But, you know, it's not like some completely undeserving team pulled this out because of what we think is a silly rule. I would agree with that. Solace taken in that because, yeah, if it was yeah. the other way, if they were dominated, then it would really be awful. But, yeah, they're just a, it's just a weird feeling like, oh, that's how Denmark's unbelievable run in the yeah. Euro Cup is going to end. Oh, that's great. Yep. Feels wrong. All right. So you brought up the red. You said we're going to get to this. Let's start with the red cards or, or yeah. the cards in general in the final between England and Italy. Yes, this was one prop I'm taking. I'm taking under four cards, minus 110 is my price, uh, simply because these teams don't have a lot of cards so far at Euros. They have played 12 games between them. Nine of those games have had three or fewer cards. Again, this is just for regulation, so just the 90 minutes. Uh, and Italy has had, see, I think they've each had five cards. So, you know, there's just not, these aren't super physical, going to beat you up teams. Finals can change that, but I think if, if things are really going to get chippy, I think it would not be until extra time, and those aren't going to count uh, toward this bet. So, yeah, I like the under uh, four cards at minus 110 is my price. All right, under four cards, minus 110, 90 minutes plus added time. Correct. Let's make that clear, because, again, there's added yep. time, and then there's the extra time, and, again, our American sensibilities. That was the other thing. You know, they should do a third. I've said this 100 times on the show. They should do a 30 for 30 on added time. When it's a, you know, <laughs> when it's a one-goal difference, and right. uh, one team is, you know, oh, I'll give them every chance in the world to do this. It's six minutes of added time. There were six minutes of added yes. time in the second half in, in London. And I they mean, exceeded and was, that by, like, 50 seconds, yeah, by the way. They played seven minutes. That was, yeah. that was ridiculous. Let's give England every chance to score this. Yeah, they sure did. But then yeah. if it's, like, you know, a tie, and the teams are clearly showing no effort, it's like, oh, yeah, there's right. one, minute, the one minute. One yeah, minute. We're not doing it. Oh, the Europeans. Uh, okay, and then uh, Harry Maguire of England, you have a take here. Yeah, so he is their big center back. He's six foot four, and I'm taking over one shot for Harry Maguire at plus 175. He only takes shots on set pieces, as you would expect from a central defender, but he has had two shots in each of their three knockout games. He's third on the team in shots total. Like he's the guy they target uh, with, with pretty much every set piece. And England's shown some creativity historically, trying to you know run pick plays, whatever you want to call them, to get him open. So I like him getting over one shot, you know, I think one is, is almost a lot because they're going to have, you know, five to 10 set pieces probably over the course of the game. So, you know, they'll get him as one shot. I, I like the chances to get two, especially getting good plus money at plus 175. All right. Then we get to the the game itself, the Euro Cup 2020 final. And this, I think I've, I haven't heard one person say they didn't like this matchup better than they would have England right. against Spain. You agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think both teams... You know, if it's Spain, Spain's going to have the ball for 70% of the time. And it's, I don't know if it's less entertaining. It's probably less entertaining to a neutral, I would say, at least. Yes. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit of a different game. This one should be pretty balanced because both teams, you know, they like having the ball, but they don't mind not having the ball and defending pretty well and looking to strike on that counter too. So it should be a pretty balanced game, probably a little more entertaining than it would be if it were England, Spain, or if it were Italy, Denmark, just from a pure soccer on the field perspective. Yeah. Less entertaining to a neutral. I always love, uh, the language of other sports, yeah. singular, by the way, sport. Uh, okay, <laughs> Italy, England, and the draw, the three-way here. England is the short shot, plus 165. Again, it's at Wembley there in London. Italy at $2, plus 200. The draw at plus 195. And the total is set at two, which is low. That's sort of the more mm -hmm. coin flippy one, slightly adjusted to the under. Or you could play this alternative uh, total, which we're showing at one and a half, where the over would be juiced at minus 200. And then there's the cup winner the itself. Right. So remember, if it goes past the 90 minutes and added time, 
those bets will already have been graded. And then there's just the simple cup winner, however it happens, either in extra time or in PKs. Italy minus 110 at that point. England minus 120. Yeah, so I just thought through this a lot. And I think you've and some of your guests talked about this on the NFL side a lot. Like, what unit do I trust the most on offense and defense? And for this final... The one I trust the most is England's defense. You know, they're only conceding about eight shots a game. Uh, you look at the expected goals per shot, so basically a measure of shot quality, and England has given up the worst shots in the whole tournament. That, that's good, obviously, from a defensive standpoint. And Italy has, you know, they take a lot of shots, but I think it's second most in the tournament per game. But broadly speaking, they're not great quality. They're kind of middle of the road in that sense. Italy's had a lot of good possession, uh, good movement, and then they've kind of just waited for someone to, you know, convert a really great shot from, you know, medium to long range, uh, which is fine. You know, they have the players who can do that. But uh, so we have a team that doesn't take great shots against a team that doesn't give up good shots at all. So I kind of like in, in England's defense in that sense. And then Italy also doesn't have Leonardo Spinazzola, who's their left back, who was great early in the tournament and then got hurt against Belgium. And you could really tell they were missing that extra thing against Spain, that gear as they would attack on the left side. So he's not there. So Italy's attack, I think, is a little bit less uh, than it could be. So all that adds up to me, and I'm going to play, I have played England to win the title, to lift the cup. Uh, minus 120 is that price. So, you know, it could go to extra time, could go to penalties. Just taking England to win the title here. I just trust them a little bit more. They're at home. I think they have more depth which you saw against Denmark, you know, late in that game and in extra time. They had a lot more uh, quality and volume of players they could put on. So I like England minus 120 to lift the trophy. There is the pick. Uh, This has been fun, Paul. Euro 2020, and you're right. I talk about uh, who do I trust on my bets all the time. Those who listen to the show know that. Uh, You trust England more. That's good enough for me. Minus 120. England trying to break their international tournament drought. Thank you, Paul. It's been so much fun, man. And we'll, uh, we'll have you on soon again. We've got lots to talk about. You bet. Enjoy the games. Paul Carr, everybody. Expected Value Podcast, who has been a stalwart through Euro 2020 on a numbers game. Always appreciate it. We'll come back. We will talk UFC 264 with analytics expert Reed Kuhn. We will do that next, and we'll read your tweets. Coming back on a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. 